Welcome to the podcast where we track down Australian war veterans, have a chat with them and hear their stories. I'm Alex Lloyd and this is Life on the Line. The single greatest sacrifice I've made is my family. There were a couple of public beheadings. In order to kill them, you've got to be a little bit angry. Not psychotic, but just angry. We could look down Frankfurt and see it on fire. Stuff blowing up everywhere. There will be no surrender. And then they had to fight an enemy in amongst we got children. Point, right? you're going to I could never often. not go back. They were my friends and they felt like the same She did say, you've changed. The soldier put everything on the line to help one of our boys. Welcome back to Life on the Line. On occasions like Remembrance Day over the past few years, we as a nation have commemorated the centenary years of World War I. Now, in 2019, we are past those anniversaries. So who should we focus on? What should we commemorate? Of course, this day still has an historical significance signifying the end of the First World War. But that's not the only era of service our thoughts should be confined to. I think now we've reflected heavily on the past, we should look towards the present of our current veterans and their future. In that vein, I've brought back on the podcast three previous guests. I did record this conversation in July 2018, and partly due to a large backlog of episodes, it has taken until now to finally be released. But given the sentiment I just expressed about commemoration, I think it's been worth the wait. This is my conversation with three Australian veterans about what it means to be a veteran today. I'm Alex Lloyd, speaking in Melbourne today with three previous guests of Life on the Line. Cassie Collins, welcome back to the show. Alex, thanks for having me again. Back on the podcast is Dee Cherry. Hi, Dee. Hi, Alex. And also here is Aaron Davis. Welcome, Aaron. Hey, buddy. Good to see you again. You too. Thank you all for coming back on the podcast. Many of our listeners will have already heard your individual stories before, and if anyone's missed it, I encourage them to go back and listen to those individual conversations. But I'm pleased to be with you all today to speak with me more about changing perceptions of our service people and what it truly means to be a veteran today. To start, think back before you all joined the forces, even back to when you were kids. Do you remember what the words soldier, sailor, pilot, and so on meant to you? I didn't have much to do with the military as a child. I don't remember sort of meeting anyone in uniform. So I don't know what my perception would have been. I guess just a a sort of another person in uniform, be it a firefighter, a police officer, paramedic. So I think exposure for me as a child was limited, being from a smaller country town and being brought up on a farm. So it's more on the TV screen, footage of an Anzac Day parade or the latest Hollywood film for you? Yeah, most definitely. It's sort of a old World War One, World War Two documentaries or movies that parents may have watched uh, yeah, and current news and world events. What about you, Dee? There are five generations of military in my family. So when I think of a soldier, I think of specifically somebody in the army. So, you know, my pa, he was a soldier, a Korean War veteran. But then I also had my auntie who was in the Air Force. So I guess from a young age, I was able to differentiate between services and I was a voracious reader and I loved reading about World War II. So I was also aware of there were lots of female spies and things like that. So I was a huge fan of Nancy Wake. So I guess I had that in my head, you know, that there was a variety. But when I think of soldier, I always thought like a somebody in the army. You've got the absolute heroism of Nancy Wake to look up to. 
In your own family tree, you have, of course, Percy Cherry, VCMC, who's decorated for bravery on the Western Front, dueling Germans in trenches. And then you have that more immediate role model of your aunt. So you would have had quite a well-rounded perception of military isn't just this slap on a poster ideal. These are flesh and blood human beings. Absolutely. And I knew that my pa was sick from my first recollection and I knew that that had come from the war. So I knew also, I guess, that you know, there were chemicals and things used in certain wars and, you know, you could have medical issues as a result of your war service. So there was that as well. Aaron, what do you remember about your perceptions of soldiering and military life as a child? Basically, where I grew up, I was surrounded by World War II veterans and Vietnam veterans. My grandmother, her husband was a Ratatabrook and he died before I was born. He had Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease. So when I looked into that, nah, that spends a bit of time in a trench with dead bodies. So that really didn't come into mind as to when my service would come about. But uh, being surrounded by Vietnam veterans, which is a little bit more uh, modern at the time, I knew I was going to join the army as to when I didn't know, but they'd always tell me, be careful what you sign up for. So anytime hearing about uh, soldiers, sailors, airmen, airwomen, I think of those old timers and my conversations to them when I was young. So to be known as a soldier these days, it's a pretty broad spectrum now. Well, given you grew up knowing veterans of World War II, Vietnam, they indeed were veterans at the time you knew them. Did you have a separate concept of what the word veteran meant or you just looked at them and went, that's it? As a young fellow, I saw them as old, as an old person. They fought in the war once upon a time, which was a long time ago. They went to RSLs and they spoke with their mates from the war. And I still feel the same way looking at it now. I'm a veteran now. I'm not old. I don't go to RSLs. So I think the changing definition of a veteran is changing with time. Us younger generation of veterans have picked up the torch and got to keep moving forward with it. We will be old one day. So looking at the old veterans and what they used to do, we'll do the same thing. So how I see those old guys will be me one day. Dee, did you look up to your pa and your auntie and see them the same way as you would have seen veterans marching on an Anzac Day parade? I never got to see my pa march because he was sick and probably, you know, as a child, I don't know that, I know that my auntie attended like services and memorials, but I don't think I ever saw her march. I mean, a veteran, I would have thought similar, you know, to what you were saying is Mm. that um, a veteran to me was someone who was retired, you know, who was old. I don't know if I necessarily thought that was someone who'd gone to a war or not, but I just thought, oh, that's an older person who used to be in the military. And Cassie, it's just a label for old people for you back when you were young? Yeah, definitely. It's, uh, again, same as D. I thought it had to be a retired person who had seen service in World War One and World War Two. That was my early, early days, like seven, eight, nine-year-old Cassie. And then the older I got, I realised there was other wars, not just the two big ones. Like, you know, there's the Korean, there's Vietnam and all the others. So I was like, okay, well, that also encapsulates veteran. And then again, the teenage years and you start being a little bit more aware of your surroundings, you realise veterans now include places like the Middle East, Timor, etc. So I guess veteran for me has grown as I've grown and matured and learnt more about the world. Now I'm a serving veteran. I see that you don't have to be retired, you don't have to be old, and you don't have to have served in World War One or two. So it's evolving for me personally. And I think at a slower rate, it's evolving for Australia um, as a group. We'll come back to the meaning of that word. 
Before we continue, can we briefly recap for our listeners each of your service histories for you to history to date and Aaron from when you joined to when you got out? So I enlisted into the Australian Army, 14th of September 2004. Upon discussions with a few of my mates that were hanging around me at that stage who were all infantry, they got into my ear and said, hey, go and be a grunt for a bit. It's fun. You get to shoot stuff, blow stuff up, kick doors in, all that stuff that you see in movies. So upon completion of Singleton, we posted to 6th Battalion in Brisbane on the very first day to the battalion. I had one of the uh, senior diggers come up to me and say, all right, you're the new guy. Fantastic. Well done. Come to the section and uh, come and meet everyone. No one really gave us stuff who you were and said, uh, oh, yeah, we're off to Timor in about six weeks' time. Congratulations. Welcome to the battalion. So before you know it, we're all doing lead-up training and, uh, yeah, boots on the ground on the uh, 15th of September 2006. We're in Timor having fun. 8th of March in 2007, I got back from Timor. Then uh, Iraq was uh, 4th of December. Uh, We stepped off only to return uh, 8th of May. January 2010, we uh, go to Afghan to return in uh, October 2010 uh, as part of MTF1. And when did you discharge? I discharged on the 8th of July 2013 uh, under medical issues. And what about your history today, Cassie? I... Joined the Air Force eight and a half years ago as a aircraft technician. So went through recruits at Wagga. Uh, There was an aircraft technician on a C-17 cargo plane for about five years and then uh, changed over to an officer after that. And now I'm currently serving at RAF Base East Sale as the base OPSO or operations officer. And I'm deploying again at the end of the year. Some of your overseas experiences to date include the Middle East and Sudan? Uh, Yeah, Middle East, Africa, Europe and Southeast Asia. And what's the end of year deployment, can you say? Uh, Yeah, just the Middle East again. Just the Middle East. And you, Dee? I joined the Air Force on the 17th of October 2008 as a Direct Entry Personnel Capability Officer. I've had a variety of postings around Australia and in 2014 I was deployed to the Middle East for six and a half months. I was a Staff Officer to the Chief of Staff over there as well as the J10. So that's I guess like the Deputy dealing with all personnel matters in the headquarters there. I'm currently posted to the ADF Headquarters Chief of Staff Branch in Canberra. Thank you guys. Just wanted to get a bit of context of your different backgrounds before you dive into this conversation. An Air Force officer, an Air Force grease monkey turned officer, and a grunt through and through. Oh yeah. Let's go back to the word veteran and my experience aligns with yours in that from my civilian point of view, of course, if I say the word veteran to someone, the first image is of someone from a World War I poster or pinup, or of course, elderly World War II gentlemen marching on Anzac Day and these days Vietnam as well. If I would want to describe any of you to someone, I would have to preface it with young veteran, modern veteran. And even after saying young veteran, they're more likely to think of a guy like Aaron, um, male veteran ahead of a female one. And there is a statistical fairness to that presumption, of course, but I want to talk about young veterans versus veterans and all the labels that come with that. Where do we think these preconceptions come from? I think they have a lot to do with, I mean, not just what's portrayed in the mainstream media, but movies and things like that. But also I think the terminology of veteran comes from legislation, you know, and the Department of Veterans Affairs, you know, and we all kind of get caught around the axles about the definition of a veteran, you know, because when it came to receiving, I guess, entitlements and things like that, it was all based around whether or not you had seen war service. Now, 
labels can be quite divisive, I find, within the veteran community. And we have bigger fish to fry than arguing about the word veteran. We have veterans these days with significant mental health issues. And that's not different to, I guess, years ago. People are dying. People are committing suicide. So for me, at the end of the day, I don't really care, you know, to use a label to identify somebody. To me, I think it's too divisive and that it's really important that we come together as a team of veterans. We all put on the uniform, you know, and we all serve regardless of where we went. It's not within our control when we serve as to where we go. So I wouldn't want anyone to feel left out and for that to contribute to them, I guess, with their mental health issues or anything like that. So the work that I'm doing on the forum with DVA, the Younger Veterans Forum, is we're looking at changing that definition within DVA as well. Aaron, you grew up knowing and looking up to that cliche definition of veteran. How do you wrestle with the preconceptions around that word? Looking at the history books and things like that and seeing all the old footage of uh, all the old timers marching in their units, regardless of who or where they served, I think everyone casts their mind back to those times. Now, bring it forward to the modern era, we're seeing more women in service, which is fantastic. It's good to see that. But the images of the younger generations known as veterans, I think everyone is wrangling with that idea as the older generations start dwindling off. There's very, very, very few World War II veterans left and the Vietnam veterans are taking pride of place. One day, us younger veterans will be those old veterans in times to come. For me, being known as a veteran, it doesn't sit well because all I did was serve my country. I didn't do anything heroic. I didn't do anything special other than serve my country. For me, does it feel like I deserve to be called a veteran? When I put my mind to it, it means I'm in the same category as those old fellas and old gals too. It's something that I've got to come to terms with and with the changing face and definition of modern veterans, only time will tell on how that is going to be perceived to everybody out there. How do you look at the label, Cassie? How do you feel about being lumped in that same category? I agree with Aaron with the, the definition of veteran and how you feel about yourself. When I was first asked to come on this podcast, Life on the Line, and I did research and it was an Australian veterans podcast. I was like, why me? I'm not a veteran. And then by definition, I am, I guess. So it's kind of hard to differentiate between a, you know, what I perceive as a somewhat of a hero and a veteran, World War II, World War One, someone that was in the trenches who was deployed for years on end compared to myself who like yourself, all I do is just sign up, serve my country. I do a job that I quite enjoy doing, but a part of that job sometimes is to deploy. So I think I have a hard time labeling myself as a veteran and similar to D, I don't like labels and definitions. I think that puts people in boxes, whereas there's not enough boxes to put all of us in. We're all different. So yeah, I think the definition definitely, I believe needs to change. Um, And I think the conversations of the general public in our country needs to change as well. And maybe images that we put out there need to change, whether it be Hollywood flicks, posters, um, news reports, TV shows, documentaries. Uh, Everything seems to be 50 plus years old. It'd be nice to sort of, you know, have someone to aspire to that was in my own age bracket. Well, I've seen you on a few public affairs images from the Air Force, Cassie. So Mm -hmm. the modern military is making efforts to that effect. Yes, it is. Once again, I feel that there's not enough of it and it's kind of only used for your standardised things. So whether it be Anzac Day or the Australian Red Cross Blood Drive or similar events, not just because there's plenty of documentaries and mini TV series around different events years ago, which is fantastic. And I really enjoy watching them. 
but I'd like to see more. I've never watched anything about Timor. I've never watched anything about any of the Middle East campaigns or areas of operations over there. So I think it'd be kind of nice to see a modern day current or ex serving something or other portrayed in mainstream television. Yeah. I have to agree. I think, um, I don't know if either of you remember, but when that photo series was done in the US where they took a photo of like a younger serving person in their uniform in the front of their mirror at home getting ready and then another photo of them out of their uniform in their everyday get up, you know, whether they were going out for drinks or dinner or something like that. It's really just to break down those barriers and those myths. Imagine if they took something like that and they did a bit of a documentary where they followed, say, somebody like Cassie or somebody else, you know, that's a younger veteran where they showed them in their workplace in their full uniform or doing something that was really military, you know, for, I guess, the community to see. And then they showed them in their everyday life, like picking their kids up from school or something like that. I would watch a documentary like that. I would think, oh, that'd be really interesting because we all have a life and an identity outside of the ADF, you know, and I think that would go towards helping, I guess, the public see, you know, that there is a different version of what people think a veteran is. I want to talk about how much do you think our cultural heritage of past conflicts affects that preconception? For example, World War II, there is so much love for all men and women who contributed to that campaign. Vietnam, highly controversial at the time, and since then, massive efforts have been made to put our hands up and say, we got that wrong, whatever we feel about the policy decision about that war, it should not be taken out on the veterans. Afghanistan, it is Australia's longest war to date, that comes with controversy. And the Iraq campaign obviously was highly politicised and comes with its own controversy too. And there's a myriad of other peacekeeping deployments and conflicts I've omitted from that short list. But how does public perception and sentiment about these deployments, these campaigns, these conflicts affect how the public feels towards the veterans who serve in them? From watching old clips of films or news There seems to be a lot more interest in the bigger, greater wars because they were so much larger and there were so much more devastation and gigantic losses of human life and financial, I guess, money going from our government to fund that. Whereas the ones we see today that we're still in currently, I think they're kind of out of sight, out of mind for the general population of Australia. It's not on our news every day. It's not affecting our bread and our butter supplies. Uh, It's not affecting our husbands going off to war or our wives changing careers to maintain the home front. So I think because it's not affecting everyone in their homes uh, and we're not seeing it on the news constantly or in newspapers, I think people's perceptions of the modern day war zones and the modern day veterans are somewhat different. Sometimes I feel we see a little bit more negativity in the media than we did back then. I don't think I personally, I'm sure there is, but I don't think I've personally seen anything negative about a soldier, sailor or air person from back in the day, whereas now I think that's more common. Um, It's just what the media chooses to pick up and run with. So I think it's accessible, the media and the wars back then compared to how they are now. I tend to agree. Mainstream media, they want a news story. You know, and a negative news story sells more papers, gets more like, gets more views, things like that. And that's unfortunate for current and ex-serving ADF members because we do so much good within 
our service and also within the veteran community. I mean, we're never going to control the mainstream media, but I do think that what we can do is get more involved in the community and put those good news stories out there. You know, we as ADF people or even ex-serving ADF people can get involved in our community. You know, we each individually, one person can make a difference in chipping away, I guess, at the stereotypes and what people see and what they're exposed to. And it could be as small as going to a school and giving a speech or, you know, being part of a PR campaign or something like that you know when it comes to International Women's Day or Remembrance Day or something like that putting your hand up we need to balance what's seen in the media and there are opportunities to do that and I think that's the best way to fight that. Aaron how do you think veterans can close the gap in public perception and sentiments to match up to those golden oldies? Be honest about your service. We've all played a role and a part within defence no matter where you've been or where you haven't been like you said, the Afghan war has been raging for a long time now. And it really does depend on how the media wants to spin whatever incident scenario at that time to the general public. And I agree that the Iraq campaign wasn't put forward in the most uh, beneficial light. There are days where even I question it, were we there for the right reason? But that's just my personal feeling. But for the Afghan campaign, I do feel that we are doing the right thing and we are going to continue to do the right thing because of my experiences with the area that I was in, we improved the quality of life for all the locals, plain and simple. And that's what Australians do best. We don't necessarily, well, if, if it comes to a fight, by God, we give them a fight. But when it comes to humanitarian aids, looking after the population, we do our damn best. With especially the Vietnam campaign, we always did the Hearts and Minds campaign. Not only was it a good idea to keep the locals on side, but it was also good to keep an information system in place. So we continue that forward to this day. And I dare say we'll continue it on in future conflicts, not to give anyway any military secrets or anything, but it's just a good, decent human thing to do to really say how the media should see us for who we are. We're human. I really agree with everything you've just said, especially the humanitarian bit. Even if we're in a war-like deployment, we still do humanitarian things. It's not two separate sort of tasks. It's not like, you know, one mission's war and then the next mission in another country's humanitarian. I feel like, you know, a solid documentary of following someone around to watch, you know, one minute they are in a firefight, giving them hell, and the next minute, you know, they're helping young Afghan children, you know, rebuild the school that was hit by a mortar attack. So they are separate occasions, and I completely agree that Aussies are really good at hearts and minds, no matter where we go, even if it's, you know, assisting Japan with a natural disaster or in the Middle East. Either way, we're still looking after the people is really our number one. And there's probably not enough of that, you know, shown within the media. You know, so all these good things that these ADF members are doing while we're over there, you know, you don't see it, you know, and that's really unfortunate. It's not just overseas, but also home side, helping the Aboriginal communities in yeah. the remote areas. Uh, I know engineering corps, uh, they spend six months out there helping Aboriginal communities, and that's part of their role. You don't hear about that. No. It's a bit unfortunate. It's it's always a, oh, we're on the war front, and you see the EOD guys doing their thing. Yeah, that's their job. But what about the rest of the guys, the, the electricians, the plumbers, chippies, all those types of guys? Most Australians don't even know they exist in uniform. What? They don't exist? Huh? Yeah. Pardon? You're not just they're, a soldier or a pilot? They're, they're, what, they're in camps? How come <laughs> I don't see them? Well, that's their job. They're not to be seen. Yeah. But, but everyone in the Air Force is a pilot, right? 100%. Absolutely. <laughs> Well, where's Maverick and Goose? <laughs> right here. <laughs> Different version. Oh, oh, damn. 
Yeah, exactly. We do. We do help just as many people in Australia as we do outside Australia. Tasmanian bushfires, North Queensland floods. I've been a part of both of those in my tiny career and not to mention all the other things that the other two services I'm not a part of do as well. And the Navy do a lot up in the northern parts of Australia as do the Army. So I would say if you're not directly involved with the ADF, you don't even know these things exist or happen. So it's a bit unfortunate that we don't have control over the media or we don't have control over you know what's put out there because at the end of the day, like Dee said, they're just looking for something that's going to hit the likes, hit the views or make, you know, bulletin broadcast on the local media. Agreed. Agreed. I mean, look at the Navy. The Navy have made an incredible impact on stopping the transport of illicit drugs through, you know, all the different areas around the world. Like that's amazing, some of the, you know... Drugs that they stop. Yeah, massive hauls. And you think of the devastation to local communities that drugs can make, you know, and the Navy's at the forefront of stopping that. Because not to toot my own horn, but Australia's number one veterans podcast cannot be enough to get these stories out there. This is covering a fraction of our service people and we're not on a mainstream channel broadcasting to the entire country, I wish. So we need to find ways to get these stories, these perceptions out there, this knowledge out there. Like I've said, I'm a civilian. Some of the things you just talked about there, I was aware of some things I was only very vaguely aware of and don't know any details about because it's not communicated to me, the general public. How do we go about fixing that on a wider level? Can we solve the problem here today? Are we going to solve the world's problems all in one go? No. It's, it's a lot of little issues as long as we keep ticking off those little issues and getting the right information out there, it will give a good light regardless on how it's spun by the media. Um, we always want to think the best of any individual, even in service in uh, the military or your first responders, so your ambos, your fires, your police. Everyone's going to hate the police because it's the job that they do because they've got to maintain discipline within the community, but it's still their job. But if you get into trouble, who are you calling? It's not the Ghostbusters. You're calling the police for help. So saying that, there are a few bad apples within any of those services which tarnish the rest of us. As long as the rest of us are towing the line and providing that good foot forward, I think at the end of the day, it will be fine. We've just got to go through those rough times, especially in some of these negative issues that are coming out through the media, how they get a hold of that information, I'm quite dubious. But the good work that all the services do are there. Even with people listening to this podcast, share it amongst your friends, family, and and the likes of that. It's going to be a slow race, but it's going to be a race nonetheless. And I think it's not just us as ADF members, uh, employees, people like Life on the Line, you, Alex. I think it's the general population, like our neighbours and the people on our netball team and the people at our grocery store. People have to want this information. They will have to want to learn more. So if they don't want to learn more, the media is not going to put more out where the Australian Defence Force is not going to put more out. So I think it's if people take a vested interest in us as an ADF and what we do, whether it be at home or away, I think if there's that need for information, it'll be supplied. So I think it's a 50-50 of how we change it and get more out there, people needing it versus wanting it. I agree. I mean, if you know somebody, like Cassie was saying, that's your neighbour or something like that, that has served or is serving, go ask them about their service, you know, educate yourself, find out more about what they do, you know, what or what's happening in an ADF at the time. Go along to a Remembrance Day ceremony or Anzac Day march. Go to your local RSL and see if they're doing a commemoration service, you know, because that's an opportunity to, I guess, mingle with current and ex-serving ADF people, you know, and they'll be more than happy, you know, to explain what's going on and what their service was like and something like that. Just to one you on that one, Dee. 
An RSL is not the poker machines, and it's not the front desk, it's the sub-branch. Go and talk to the sub-branch members. If you don't know what a sub-branch is, it's it's a small group within the RSL that helps veterans with their advocacy services and DVA claims and whatnot. Ask them what they need help with, not do you need more poker machines or anything like that. Because once upon a time, the RSL wasn't about that. It was there for the veterans, for all services. So hopefully one day we'll see the RSL come back to its former glory. I think some of my best Anzac Day moments or memories from the last eight years of Anzac Days I've been in uniform or before that are the chats I've had at the RSLs. Oh, yeah. It's not the poker machines. <laughs> it's not the drinking. Oh. Sometimes it's the two-up. No, two up. <laughs> but it's the chats. It's always the two-up. It's always the two-up. <laughs> two-up closely followed by the chats. Um, like chatting to someone you wouldn't usually stop at your local supermarket and talk to. You end up laughing about inappropriate things, trading stories and learning about stuff you didn't even know existed. Well, I, th- I think it opens up the conversation with the older and younger generation. I am with the Veterans MC and I ride quite frequently with them. I see them every Friday. And we've got a lot of Vietnam vets within them. I love chatting to those old fellas because it's the exact same story, just a different timeline. They say one thing, I go, oh, hang on, I've got one for you. It just happened on this day or this year. And he goes, okay, cool. It's the same old crap, just a different year. I think the two of you, Dee and Cassie, walking down the street on an Anzac Day or Remembrance Day might also have that extra level of engaging with the public and educating them. I mean, Cassie, in our one-on-one conversation, you mentioned, you know, on the occasions you have been in a public space in uniform, you do get the double takes or even a confused look as you walk down in uniform. Have you experienced that, Dee? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I take any opportunity I can to educate people or chat to people. So, you know, I mean, I do a lot of public affairs work and things like that and I'll attend a lot of events so a lot of those were in Melbourne in the city it's a pretty bustling city you know and I might have a child point or something you know I'll take that opportunity to go over to that child and say hello and then they'll have a question or something like that you know and I'm quite happy to spend any amount of time chatting to them but yeah you do get the looks you things like that sometimes you get negative comments I'd say more often than not, it's like on Anzac Day when it comes to medallic recognition. Are those meant to be on the right side of your chest? (laughs) Yeah. It's my favourite one. Yeah. You know, so without fail, nearly every year, most females would experience something like that, being questioned about their medals and whether or not they're their medals or their medals of a relative. But in saying that, so do young men. So, I mean, it does happen predominantly more to females. But, yeah, young, young guys might get the same comment as well because we just are not the stereotypical, I guess, look of what what somebody perceives a veteran to be. And I just take that as an opportunity to educate that person and say, well, actually they're my middles and here's what they relate to. Yeah, I agree with you complete on that one, Dee. Last year's uh, Anzac Day, I got challenged at my local dawn service. I got asked, are you sure that they're yours? And I said, well, I think 10 years. I think they're mine. I think I've deserved them. What have you done? I had to step it back just a fraction before I let rip onto this guy who knew enough to get into trouble, but not enough to get out of trouble. He started a line of questioning and I'd- Was this a civilian or- Yes, this was, no, this was a civilian. The way he was asking these questions, because I had my daughter with me, I had to play nicely. Any other circumstance, I might've berated him just a little bit because it's not the day to start asking those types of questions. If you're wondering what those types of questions are, is what Dee just covered off on. Are you sure that they're yours? Shouldn't they be on the other side of your chest? That type of attitude 
ask the question. Thank you for your service. Tell me about your medals. Exactly. Make no assumptions. That's yeah. the first thing I say is just don't assume anything. If you're unsure, just ask a question. Nobody will get offended. Just instead of saying, are they your medals? Just say, can you tell me about the medals? And then somebody will tell you, these are mine or these ones are my relatives. So just for our listeners, I guess, if they're your medals, you wear them on the, your left side closest to your heart. Medals worn on the right side are those of a relative. You can only wear them on the left if they're your own. Yeah, completely agree. And at times, Anzac Day can bring the worst and the best out of people, but you do get the chance to see a lot of imposters and they stand out like sore thumbs, especially amongst the veteran community. Some things just don't make sense in a metal rack. You can smell it. Oh, yeah. You can also Google it. Yep. So before confronting someone, maybe yeah. get your facts straight. Yeah. And then like Dee was saying, ask questions, not accusations. Yeah. You don't want to be looking like the fool on the day. It's embarrassing and it's disrespectful. Oh, yeah. Very. It's very, very disrespectful. Just thank the person for their service. 99% of people will not be fraudulently wearing medals if they're wearing them on their left side. They're their own. And, you know, and there might be a lot of emotion, pride, sadness behind those medals, you know, so coming towards somebody with an accusatory tone, you don't know what Anzac Day brings up for that person. So, you know, you wouldn't want to have a negative effect on them. So I think just ask them about the medals and thank them for their service. That's the first thing that comes out of every American civilian's mouth is thank you for your service. What do you do? Where have you been? Whereas here in Australia, I find it almost the opposite. I never expect any sort of recognition. I never enlisted for the recognition, but with the Americans, and I, I chat to, a, I still keep in contact with my American mates. And the first things that come out of their mouth is thank you for your service. And I say, hey, dude, you don't need to say that every time. No, it doesn't matter. I'm saying it. Oh, okay. Thank you, bro. Yeah. And that sort of attitude. And that's not just in one small community. That's everywhere in They even say it to each other. Like yeah. two, two, like yeah. a Marine and, a, and an Army soldier in America on Veterans Day or just at a pub and they realise they're both military if they're yeah. out of uniform. Yeah. Oh, like you said, bro, thanks for your service. Yeah. So it's just like, again, we don't, no one joins for the high fives and, you know, the pictures and no. all of that. We join because we most likely speak for myself here. I thought the job sounded amazing and I really enjoy it and serving your country is pretty high up there on my list of things to do with my life. So no one joins for the recognition, but it's, you know, expected in Australia and really nice every yeah. now and again. It's, I'm, it's I'm, lovely. It's yeah. heartwarming. Yeah. Every now and then you get the thank you for your service. That's starting to slowly catch on. Mm. And I've noticed it over the last couple of years here in Melbourne at dawn services, not just in the city, but around the area. I get some random people come up to me and say, can I get a photo with you? And I'm just like, I don't like photos, but sure, just for this day, I will. I'm dressed up in a suit with all my medals, my uh, beret on and looking the part. To be told, thank you for your service. And, and I'm still a little bit uncomfortable about it, but all you got to say is thank you. Yeah. Appreciate it and move on. I've had to come up with the stock standard answer for that. And that's my answer. Thank you. Much appreciated. Have a good day. It is. You're right. It is. It's, it's humbling, but it's also a little bit awkward because we're just doing our job right. So when someone thanks you, you kind of don't feel like you deserve it, but you kind of do if you stop back and you see it. Like, I think you deserve it, but you probably don't think you do. And same thing with yourself, yeah. D and me. You guys probably think I deserve it and I think I don't. So it is. The gracious thing is to say thank you. Mm. How's your day going? Or, you know, where do you live? And this is your, your oh. first dawn service or yeah, where are you It's an early start, isn't it? Ho, ho, ho. Yeah. <laughs> And just chat of, and break down yeah. the barriers like we were saying earlier with neighbours or, you know, going to school groups. It's I feel like we're in our own little bubble, mm -hmm. whether we're currently serving or ex-serving. Everyone just sort of sees us as this mythical, magical creature. You don't have to engage with a community. You are that community. You shop at those stores. Your kids go to those schools. Sometimes you're lucky enough to be posted to your hometown or state or location. So I think just having everyone just see us as a normal person is a bit of a weird job. 
is how I'd like to see it eventually, mm. not just standing in the corner being stared at on Anzac Day beside the pokies. <laughs> yeah, no. Dee, you brought up earlier about veteran suicide, and veteran suicide is a huge issue these days. I have seen statistics, I don't want to quote them in fear I'm wrong or outdated because I'm not verified them myself, but I know they are massive, as is we have a massive proportion of homelessness around the country are homeless veterans. What kind of effect do you think these presumptions and misconceptions about the work currently and recently serving ADF members is contributing to that? I think that, like we talked about before, labelling people, putting people in boxes, focusing on the word of a veteran, things like that, it's destructive. If somebody, you know, is struggling mentally, you know, that affects their self-esteem, their self-confidence, to then have to go online and listen to people debate the term veteran who aren't even in the ADF and then especially people who are in the ADF. People can be copying it from all sides. That just erodes at someone's sense of self and their self-confidence and it, it is counterproductive, it's unhealthy. So I think that these definitions and these terms of veterans, they're not important. What's important is that we all put on a uniform at the end of the day. We all signed on that dotted line, not knowing at that point in time where we would go, where our career would take us, whether we would be deployed, whether or not that deployment would be war service, whether it would be peacekeeping, what we might experience on that deployment. We didn't know, but we all signed up. We're all one team. And I think that's what people need to remember. And we're not helping our mates when we are entering into these debates and making negative comments this way. And I should clarify, it's not always just the civilian population that might be unintentionally contributing towards these misunderstandings or presumptions around this terminology. Have you always felt supported by other veterans? From my point of view, similar to what Dee was saying about it, I think that people are different. We've had different backgrounds, different levels of resilience. Things affect people differently. It's similar to a taste bud. What's spicy to me might not be spicy to you. What affects your mental health might not affect mine or it might affect mine tenfold. So I think we've got to be mindful of, including myself, everyone is different. Everyone is affected by different things and we need to support each other. We're all one team. It shouldn't be a competition. And I think we are our own worst critic and each other's worst critic when I say ours in the ADF family. So I think we need to support each other more and not be critical of each other's stories, each other's service, who's done more, who's done less, where and when and for how long. At times we can be our own worst enemy when it comes to mental health and PTSD and deployments. But I think we have also the tools to be the best assistance for people that are affected by their service because I can say, look, I haven't been through what you've been through, but similar, so I kind of understand so I think from the inside, you can provide more help than you know you can. What do you think, Aaron? I think because defence and the individuals that serve within defence, we're all of a very similar mindset. We all strive for perfection. If not, we want to get as close to perfect as we possibly can. So we want everything to be a well-oiled, slick machine. And if something isn't running right within that machine, we have a tendency of really turning on it to make it unwanted or just get it gone because you don't need that sort of drag on the system. Whether if that individual is having a bad day, a bad month or a bad year because of whatever personal issues there are. Because the defense lifestyle is not an easy lifestyle. It expects so much of your time. You have to be selfish. With the infantry, it's duty first. I think that is the whole of defense where it is duty first, then family second, then 
everything else is a fight for third, fourth, fifth, wherever you want to place it. When we turn on ourselves, we aren't doing ourselves any favors. We're exacerbating the problems of that individual rather than turning around and saying, hey, are you okay? What's going on? Yesterday, you were doing well. Today, what's going on? Or last month, because we're highly attentive, because again, it, it, uh, defense attracts those type of people, we've got that observational skill to turn around and say something's off. Just asking that question, are you okay, could open up that person to seek the help that they require. It might not necessarily be war service issue, it might be a, a home issue, a family member's sick, terminal, or just in a really bad spot, or their own child could be going through issues. So. I'll put it down to rather than being a part of the cause, be a part of the solution. Help each other out. You wouldn't leave a, a digger behind. So why do it now? Let's talk about that solution. What are we doing in the military and veterans community that is making a positive difference? What model can we look to expand upon and keep pushing forward? Well, I think with this year's Invictus Games, not to drop anything in on that, but it draws a lot of attention to the veteran community. Other than the your standard days of Anzac Day and Remembrance Day, every day for veterans is Anzac Day because we're always remembering. But to have Invictus here in Australia, I think it is absolutely fantastic to have because it puts us back into a competitive mindset. It sees us as being as capable individuals again, regardless of injuries, whether it's mental or physical. It brings the right amount of attention to the cause across the board. It brings, not to drop in big corporations, but they want to get in behind us. They want to help us out. Not every single veteran is damaged, but we've got a lot to bring to the community in general. We're a team player. We're motivated. We're always willing to help others at any given stage. Young veterans are a bunch of team players, Dee. Yeah, absolutely. So Young Veterans is an ex-service organisation, one of many within the veterans space. And uh, I guess by virtue of its name, it focuses on young veterans. So that's veterans of the post-1991 conflicts. And they're really focused on doing community-based activities. So they don't have like a paid personnel structure or anything like that. It's about veterans getting involved within the organisation itself and setting up what they want to do for other veterans. So there'll be a chapter in each area around Australia, you know, and like, for example, Sunshine Coast young veterans might decide that they want to do yoga every Thursday or something like that. So that's what they go and set about doing. They utilize social media to really advertise all the events they do. And it's about getting involved in activities that are both healthy for mind and body. What do you think, Cassie? I think the Young Veterans Associations, clubs, get-togethers is absolutely fantastic. I love being around people. I'm a people person. I'm an extrovert. So when I do get out one day, I definitely would be something that I would use because the family feeling you feel when you're in the service uh, is quite amazing. And I really enjoy it. Like we were discussing the other day that if you go on holidays, you need a dog sitter, uh, you know, someone to mow your lawns, someone to check your mail and pay a bill while you're away. There is zero shortages of people within our community to do stuff for you. You know, your child gets sick uh, and you can't take your other child to a doctor's appointment. There's always someone around. So I think to extend that beyond service in the young veterans is it's fantastic. It should be it should be done more often. And specifically on mental health, what else can we be doing? Defence is doing a number of things within the three services to focus on welfare and specifically mental health. I think one of the biggest things is acknowledging past 
behaviour within defence and trying to improve that. So there is a number of cultural reform programs um, that are occurring. Pathways to Change is the overall defence cultural reform program. And then each service has a specific cultural reform program that they're doing. Now, that's just one thing. A greater focus on welfare, on mental health, number of different programs that we can train veterans in to spot signs of suicide in a fellow ADF member and things like that. All these things are really important and Defence has got a specific focus on these things. But not just within Defence, the Australian Government is also supporting a number of initiatives and they're starting to put a number of programs in place to try and combat the issues that veterans face on transition, which often can lead to or exacerbate mental health issues for veterans. So I attended the um, Prime Minister's Veterans Employment Awards. It was the first awards ceremony that I attended that in Canberra. This is a wonderful initiative that the government has set up and they're partnering with a number of organisations, including state governments and also private organisations. Some of the top companies within Australia are partnering. And what the government is trying to do is raise awareness of the amazing skills that an ADF person has that would be of benefit to an organisation. Because what you've got to remember is veterans now are leaving and they've still got a working life ahead of them. They're not retiring, you know, in their 60s. You guys don't have a pension anymore? No, we don't have that either. We're also not on tax-free money and just rolling around in free homes. (laughs) That's right. We do. We sometimes have two or three entire careers after. Absolutely, you know, and just because somebody, and like we talked about before, not all veterans suffer from PTSD. There are some veterans with mental health issues and there are some that aren't. And some veterans who have mental health issues, you know, can overcome those mental health issues and can be really productive member of society. We bring so many skills to the table for an organisation. We are so focused as team players. You know, we learn from day one, it's not about you as the individual, it's about the team. Everything we do is about the team. That's an amazing attribute for any organisation. So having something such as the Veteran Employment Awards, it puts a positive focus on veterans that have left the service and done some really amazing things within organisations and been nominated by their employers. And it also shines the light on employers that are committed to helping employ veterans within their organisations. So the more focus on something like that, the more veterans realise, okay, well, this is a potential path for me outside of the ADF. I would feel safe going to this organisation because I know that they have policies or procedures in place that support ex-serving ADF members and that they are appreciative of my service and the skills that I bring to the table. Cassie, Dee and Aaron, it's always a pleasure and I'm delighted to have got you all back on Life on the Line to talk about these topics. Thank you again for your service and for your time. Thanks, Alex. Thank you, Alex. Thank you very much. On Remembrance Day this year, I hope you think on the words of Cassie, Dee and Aaron. May we remember and thank all our veterans, from those long departed to those more recently out of or still in a uniform. Share this podcast to spread the message. Tell a friend, post it on your social media, or email a link to our website, www.lifeonthelinepodcast.com. Discover these three guests' stories of service if you haven't heard them before. You can find Cassie Collins in Season 2 and Dee Cherry and Aaron Davis in Season 3. And for more on today's topics, listen to the two panel episodes from last year titled Returning Home and Life After Service. Find this podcast on Instagram at Life on the Line Podcast, on Twitter at LOTLPod, and on Facebook at Life on the Line Podcast.
Life on the Line is brought to you by Thistle Productions. Artwork by Big Cat Design. Music by Dan Van Workhoven. Thank you for listening and lest we forget. Mm-hmm.